So kind of when I think of the word art, immediately what comes to my attention actually, um, I guess because since I've started painting, are great, you know, the great works, the great works of the great masters. Um, Claude, my oldest brother, uh, is a veritable font of information when it comes to, uh, especially like the romantic era of uh, the, the 19th century paintings. He seems to come to that, you know, uh, the, the great masters, uh, maestros of the canvas, you know, of that time period. Certainly, uh, I gravitate towards Degas and, uh, and the impressionistic aspect of it that came later. Um, but I do obviously see uh, the 18th, the 19th century paintings as great masterpieces. Um, just working with that, with that time, that era, that era in time, you know. Um, so when I think about my painting, for instance, um, I don't ask kind of where it fits, but I kind of just naturally do sort of ask that um, in the sense that uh, maybe um, I'm certainly actively participating in the tradition which is awesome because I, I never really thought I, I'd be painting, you know, really, I didn't really, it was not on, in my purview um, to go there really up until about not even a half a year ago when I started my first painting, which was probably, you know, like sort of like my important period there. I just had no clue where literally, I really literally almost um, was fulfilling this because a very good friend of mine uh, made it as a suggestion and it happened to coincide, interestingly enough, with my sister-in-law, Janet, also uh, cueing me into that direction. And she's great. She, she really had me kind of like wanting to think about going into paint, doing oil painting, um, uh, maybe even, you know, a couple of years ago, she was sort of making um, entreaties to that kind of thing. But in any event, um, the great, the great ma masterpieces and maestros behind them, uh, like you know the giant uh, Ang, um, and it's you know an interesting name, Ang I N G R E S. I always thought it was Angres, Angres. I was. And I'm French. I mean, I got a pretty good idea of how French words work, but in French names, particularly, uh, being uh, being messy and not forgetting to put the accent aigu, accent aigu, the little line over the e, um, and there's accent accent grave is the other the same mark going the other way for a different pronunciation. Um, so Massé, or Massé, I think it's Massé, Massé. So the E is an accent good in any event. And uh, it's, uh, it's over the last E, the, the E of the word, Massé, M-A-S-S-E. Of course, it's just, it's basically Massé, um, but that's the way, and, and I do not use, uh, I do not use the accent um, at the end, but I may, but I don't think I will. Uh, I'm, I've been sort of like mentally practicing my signature to my painting 
paintings that I've been doing because I haven't signed them yet. Um, so, but I, now I kind of have a little strategy in mind of how to do that. Um, so I have to come into it that way. Uh, but the first painting, doing that, and, and, and you know, the first painting, the chair, um, and, and starting that process was arduous to say the to say least. Well, it wasn't really arduous. It was very trepidatious, I think is the word. I really had no idea how where this was going to go. Um, but I thought, what the heck? Let's just do it. Um, let's just do it. Make it happen. Um, let's just see what happens. And then I went out and got my art supplies and I was sort of spurred on, obviously, to do the painting. And then um, I started with a very kind of simple object, and I'm kind of continuing that practice for the most part. Um, and I call it um, primitive realism. So what would the romantics think? And she's sweet, and she's here right here. And I'm whispering because she's just so sweet. I'm rubbing her, and she's on my lap. I'm lying down on the couch, and she's, she's sweet. I'm, it's silky. She's silky. She's uh, soft, and she's uh, uh, warmish, and she's, uh, you know, she's cold-eared and cold-nosed right now because she's awake, um, and she's sweet. And her profile, she's showing me her beautiful profile, and she's just a good little gray and white kitty cat, Lulu, my Lulu. And boy's upstairs, you know, upstairs, uh, he's, he goes up there for a few hours a day, typically. Um, he likes it up there. It's quiet, I think, is the main reason he likes it up there. Uh, he just wants to be le alone in his domain. That's his, uh, that's his domain. Uh, it's solely his area. Uh, I can go up there. Periodically, I go up there. I don't go up there because I know he's fine up there, um, obviously sleeping most of the time, I would imagine, <laughs> and he's up there for a good two hours to three hours, usually in the early uh, late morning to early afternoon, oh, when I think about it now, he's probably up there for about four hours, amazingly, uh, he is just alone up there, and no one's bothering him, and it's quiet, there's, it's raining out right now, so maybe there's some nice comforting uh, rain pellet, uh, rain uh, 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 pellet, uh, what's the word? Um, pelting the roof, and so um, it's all good for him up there. Yeah, that's, that's, his, that's his domain up there, you know, <laughs> for the most part. It's just a storage area right now. It's the second floor of my, my small house, um, and I, it's not a disaster up there, but I've got to get back up there and kind of like, uh, kind of like, tidy things up up there just um, but without getting into that I'm really discovering there's a lot of things I like about painting oil painting and number one it's it is relaxing I've forgotten kind of what it's like to sort of be in a relaxing situation yeah, definitely kind of liberating, actually. It's, I'm finding it out more and more as I go on. And I've only been at this for about five months or so. Four months, actually. But I like the idea of the paint. The paint is this sort of a... It's actually almost like a sensual kind of thing, isn't it? 
when you really think about it, uh, the paints that come out of the tube, you know, the colors are virginal, you know, um, and, and that's a good thing, you know, these are like pigments to work with. And you mix the colors to get the colors you want. Unless you're doing a pop art kind of thing, you probably might want to add, do mixing on most of your, most of your subjects and compositions. Um, it will add, uh, it will be realism, because in nature, it, it, it's not really, when you think about it actually, there's not really any primary colors except the flowers, of course. Those are definitely can, can relate to some, you know, think of the red rose, you know, or the gardenia. Um, and uh, you think of that, oh, that red, you know, I mean, it's no more red than you can get. That's the red right there. That is the red, you know, really the red rose, but even the slightly brighter flowers, you know. Uh, I like the mixing of paint now. Um, I, that was one of the things I was kind of trepidatious about to use that word again, but it's really seemed it was seemed apropos for my first couple of paintings. I just didn't know where they were going to take me. You've heard the whole drill by now, um, and it, you know, excuse me for saying um a lot. You know, I I've been back to listening back on my programs, um, like I just did right now. So I've got to really catch myself from doing that. I really have a tendency to to say that, to do that. And I don't want to do that. Uh, I want to, and I did it just again. I did an, uh, you know, uh, so there I go again. So it's a real habit I got to work with. But anyway, back to painting, back to oil painting. Never thought I was going to really be doing this kind of thing, going in that direction for some reason, but I did. And then what I like about it, I like, I like also the canvas. It's really cool, the surface. Uh, I like the interaction of the paint on the surface. Um, I like working with the color. Uh, I like to get my composition down in linear form with a pencil sketch uh, and then paint over that. Typically, uh, I want to cover all my original markings and tighten the picture up, and I like the way the paint cooperates with you. You know, oil paints are really good to work with. You get really great working time, and I found I can put, I can put, I can store the with a cover on it, the paint, and reuse it on off right off the palette thereby saving paint, which I think most artists do anyway. I like how the paint just uh, gets up there and the colors come together. I like how tone, you know, the whole idea behind tonal, uh, you know, painting in tonal on, on, on my objects that I've been painting lately, such as the hydrant, um, the Hunts, Hunts Avenue hydrant. Uh, that's the title of it. I like how I'm more efficient uh, in setting up and I've got a system down. I like how I'm more efficient working on the canvas with my paints. I like um, sort of my simplified approach, which lends itself, um, ideally it seems, to my 
self-proposed genre of primitive realism. It's starting to really ring a bell. Um, primitive realism, I'd like to Google that actually. I, I, think, I think I've made it up, but I might be wrong. Primitive realism and painting and how I like painting and the things that I like about painting with each step. I like the fact that um, it comes together, it starts making more sense, it's gradual. I do my painting in maybe, I average about eight or nine, ten sittings um, with my paintings now. And they're each about an hour, most of them. There's one that went, a couple that went really quick, um, and I didn't see any more need to go either I was waiting for other areas of paint to dry before I could go back in and work with that again um, but the honing it's a honing and I just think of that word it's a good word it's a good word honing I'm honing in I'm, you know I'm kind of like figuring it out as I go along and that's the natural progression of things anyway and that's the other thing that's beautiful about oil painting I like it I like I like the whole whole um, process it's really kind of a really good uh, cogent is that a word it's a really uh, I don't know how to even express it um, and I just thought of it as being sort of like the most kind of like uh, wow I can't even think of the word but of all the hobbies that you can have it's it's really but when I think about it now people that are in pottery which is wonderful hobby um, working with clay uh, when I went to art school I focused on the flat kind of visual graphic design approach but I, and I didn't incorporate and I it didn't bloom on me the, the the beauty of a spun pot you know and 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 then how the students worked with it they really talented students that made really beautiful pieces I have I think I have one actually here that I have now somewhere I've got to find it I think I do I hope I didn't lose anything like that and I do I do have that student's artwork and it's a beautiful water pitcher it's actually really a really nice water pitcher it's really the perfect water pitcher of a course uh, of, of not porcelain I'm sorry they're working with clay they're working with this is earthenware, really. Rhode Island College had a great kind of earthenware tradition, and I don't think they played on that back then. Uh, but it was a lot of earthenware. It was a lot of Peter Potts kind of approaches, of course. Peter Potts being the Rhode Island institution that I just found out is 75 years old. And uh, the owner, the present owner, um, I think the, his name's Green, G-R-E-E-N-E, and it's Peter Potts, and they make clay pots. And my parents bought, my dad swore by Peter Potts. And I've got, I know I've got a couple of Peter Potts in the house. And the owner said, Green, said that everybody's got a, at least one Peter Potts work uh, in their house, uh, in, the, in the house. And I, and I said to myself, I think he's right about that. There, there are goals, or there's the goal set when you're painting too and that's another aspect you have it you have, you have a you're not a, it's not a deadline but you do have a sort of a pseudo kind of time ahead that you want to you, you know how many more sittings uh, that you need and uh, when it started getting to be uh, 
with, uh, that I thought I could wrap up the painting in one, in one more sitting of an hour, let's say, or even less, uh, just to tighten up certain aspects of the painting, that the final touches. Um, and that's the crux of it. You see the, the sort of the like little mini, hopefully you don't go backward with your sittings, but that you make progress with each, each sitting. Uh, and I literally do, it is a sitting with me. I sit on my couch, I put my little easel, which is awesome, uh, that Janet gave me to use. And uh, I, put my, I put that right on my coffee table. I bring my photographic, uh, photo photographers busted up, sort of like dented up old um, photograph photographers lamp that he would use. Uh, to illuminate, which works perfectly. It floods my painting really nicely. And um, set up my palette paper with my paint on it. Uh, or, you know, not yet. Maybe it's a brand new sheet of palette paper. You know, and then I get my paints out and my brushes and uh, my linseed oil sometimes. If I'm covering large areas, I use linseed oil to incorporate that. Uh, make it a little bit uh, easier to work with, um, and then I get my um, I get my my easel set up with the painting, of course, that I'm staring at and trying to figure out and sit down in front of for about a couple a couple minutes and just reassess what I've got going. And it's the goal in mind. Yep, it's the goal in mind that I know maybe okay one more sitting will do it. And then what happens? I sit at another sitting. Uh, and it turns into a house of mirrors, sort of. It's not really a house of mirrors, but it's just a, uh, a cycle I can get into where it's one more sitting still. And then, and then that next sitting, that third sitting, you say to yourself, maybe there's just one more. And this was a classic example. And it was tightening loose ends, but kind of important tightening. Uh, and I got the sidewalk done as part of the composition. There's a sidewalk that's that's moving away uh, with the curb and the road showing and the hydrant, the fire hydrant, yellow with red, red caps on it. Um, classic kind of urban, suburban fire hydrant uh, in really direct sunlight. And then, so did I achieve that? The outset, when I went out, when I out, when I went outset, how do you use that word? When I set out to do the painting, I had that in mind of an intimate sort of suburban uh, slash urban sidewalk uh, with graphic colors because of the yellow and the red of the hydrant, the subject itself, uh, almost centered on my canvas, but with the drop shadow, it kind of hangs down a little bit. And I kind of think that kind of adds a little bit of, you know, uh, tentativeness to, I, I kind of think, I like it how it works. It's, again, it's my primitive realism, my, my attempt at realism, but so I call it primitive realism, really. So from the encouraging aspect of it, outside of family and friends supporting you as you go, it supports you because you see yourself uh, honing in towards the end, more honing, but 
certainly you're, you're kind of like you have a destination you know that it's a bright sunny day and it's a it's a probably a summer day and I want to convey that to whoever looks at the painting and I like so it's a segment about liking the process liking how the paint works liking the performance of your brushes as you paint um, liking that you can put a pretty steady line down with paint so from likes just like that you know operational likes well not operational but um, uh, likes through the process of oil painting to perspectives on my art school experience and where my directions went. I never discount my upbringing in the early 60s, certainly at 240 Harrison Street in Woodlawn. Uh, we were a close family, really. Six kids, two, two parents, you know, father and mother. And we had really a wonderful upbringing. I had a happy, I have a happy childhood when I really look back. All the things that we did, even just before moving to, to Darlington, um, in, in 1968, there was enough time span there. I moved when I moved when I was eight, eight years old. There's enough time that went on for, in Woodlawn uh, to look back on it really fondly, fondly. Um, we we didn't you know we weren't the perfect family, but we were we were really we really were a pretty good good tight family. And I gotta say, and I, we always we know that we know that that's what's great about it. We have that down, that that's solid. Um, we had shared experiences. Um, we had our own individual experiences that we shared. We had enthusiasm of just being alive and living, even though maybe we didn't realize it at the time or appreciate it, um, and uh, or we did appreciate it. Um, we. Uh, the Catholic, our Catholic faith was strong. My dad involved with the church um, as church organist. My mom involved with the church with her golden, glorious, um, powerful soprano voice, lending, uh, lending its its hand at, uh, and my mom uh, steadfastly followed, uh, um, realizing that. You know, her Catholic faith was important enough for her to participate in it. And that's a wonderful thing. And they were very visible. Not that you have to be visible with, with, with that idea of Christ. Um, he's not looking for people who brag about uh, their generosity or brag about their suffering, like in fasting back then. Um, people fast today, but for different reasons, of course. Uh, fasting is 
is part of a um, is part of a uh, it's it's actually medically it's actually not uh, not there's not a lot of stigma with it for some reason fasting uh, people do it da- uh, daily millions of people fast uh, which could uh, could incorporate some religiosity in there certainly um, I would imagine a lot of it is that I know in the Catholic faith uh, uh, fasting is actually almost promoted I wouldn't maybe not go that far but it's certainly a cleansing it's a cleansing aspect uh, at least of the Catholic tradition but it goes way beyond that you know um, sacrifice God is not you know typically in my reading of because uh, I get the daily readings he's not interested in at the same time at the same time my father was uh, not detached but uh, had a um, a love of his family um, and he wasn't overburdensome with any of his uh, kind of Catholic uh, being involved in in the Catholic uh, tradition as much as he was being a church organist and choir director um, we still had fun like kind of a regular family would and, and yeah I guess we kind of were because we, we watched TV we played our games we got toys uh, we certainly weren't short of toys we don't have toys like today's kids have toys certainly not that but we did have toys we had toys we had go-karts you know, uh, we had our little gadgets that we played with to occupy our time. You know, it's all about occupying time. As kids, you don't even really care about time. It just the day just the day must go by short. It's funny because no, the day went by kind of long. It was an epic kind of adventure. It really kind of like just a yeah, really kind of cool. Um, and so Harrison Street, really fond memories of Harrison Street. Triple Decker Tenement. We were on the bottom floor, uh, and it was a right by the railroad track line. Uh, There's a bridge uh, crossing right nearby. We're right by a Main Street bridge, and uh, right there is a. It was an older bridge when I was growing up, and uh, freight trains would go by slow. Passenger trains would go by wicked fast. Uh, there was milkweed growing all along a, a short retaining, well, a short wall um, on the embankment um, at the ridge or overlook of the railroad bed, uh, maybe 20 feet below, uh, something like that. So we would slide down. Typically, we'd climb over the, the small the two, three-foot fence. Uh, we'd, we'd go, we'd have to maybe negotiate our way through some milkweed um, and we would get over the other end of the fence and then we'd slide down it was like an embankment or yeah so we'd slide down like gravelly kind of rocks and stones and dirt too I guess um, you know I'm sure we dirtied ourselves and we got down to the bottom and then there's the railroad bed right there we're on we're on right right on the tracks and we uh, Respected the tracks as kids. We didn't really mess with anything. No pennies, really. Uh, maybe, actually, maybe, yeah, maybe that was part of a, it's sort of a, 
rite of passage if you're living in a, that kind of a railroady kind of town, you know, putting the coin under the, of course it does nothing, uh, the sheer weight of the train uh, flattens the coin out, um, and then you just hope it doesn't projectile out anywhere, uh, but that's the, that's the comings and goings of the day by the railroad track in Woodlawn. Interesting topography. It was uh, urban, certainly, with a uh, with maybe the vestiges of suburbia, but you know, just not really. It was still no hardly any trees to speak of. Um, there was uh, we had um, on the corner there was a school, Red Schoolhouse, and it was St. Jean's, and we went there with the nuns and we got to ring the bell before we started school. We were lived literally across the fence uh, to St. John the Baptist and school. Uh, and uh, we would ring the bell for the nuns. They would let us ring the bell. We were just, we weren't even in school yet. And Pierre and I would be, take turns at ringing the bell for the, for, for the recess. So we had a sort of a power trip going on there, I guess. Um, even though kids probably don't think that way. They're just having a lot of fun. Fun with the nuns in Woodlawn, Rhode Island, circa, oh, 1960, let's say 1965. How about that? Um, so, um, the, there are, there are, there are no naders, N-A-D-I-R, nader points, um, in my upbringing in general. Uh, we were a two-location family. We moved once from Woodlawn to Darlington. This segment is dedicated to uh, my first cousin, Andy, Andy Guzzi. Um, his mom and my dad were brother and sister. Uh, we had a big family of cousins, a big group of cousins, 44 and then 45 later on. Um, uh, RJ, my aunt Peggy's kid, um, and my uncle Ray, of course, his kid. Uh, Peggy and Ray, um, their last child that they had after probably a 10 year period and then um, the tragic thing was that is that um, Uncle Ray died at I think a very young age of 54 of lung cancer. Not lung. I don't know if it was lung cancer. It was heart attack. Probably he was involved pulmonary issues. He was a chain smoker. Um, I remember them coming over. Um, not to get off track because of who I want to talk about originally, Andy. Um, but uh, they would come over, and I would, as a kid, I would see um, certainly my uncle. My uncle George smoked a pipe. Um, he looked really good with a pipe. He was that kind of guy. He could stand by the fireplace with his pipe, and you know, it's like you know the cover of Saturday Evening Post. You know, Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol. Wow. Um, the great Norman Rockwell painted that famous. These famous. Um, all American, certainly American. Um, he used a graphic design uh, focus to his, his art. It was pretty sim simple, straightforward. Actually, it was realism. Uh, he really almost nailed. He really nailed it, and he 
definitely had his own style. Norman Rockwell, certainly. But yeah, my Uncle Ray, you know, um, my Uncle Ray, yep, my dad's brother, um, was a very heavy smoker, a red chain smoker, totally, four to five packs a day, easily, easily. Um, and, but the greatest, I had the greatest aunts and uncles, just wonderful, total, total family scene going on, and they were 40, 44 at that time in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s, at least, went into that era, certainly. Um, we stopped kind of doing the Sunday picnic, but I don't really even know when that ended. I know our last Sunday picnic had to have been at Lincoln Woods, uh, right nearby, a recreation area, um, rather extensive recreation area, actually. Um, it includes a little lakeside, but it's more like a lake. Yeah, it's a lake. It's not a pond, I don't think. Um... You know, there's always trusty Woody Allen, you know? I just realized how great of a director he is, first off. Um, and the body of his ver really quite a quite a vast, and he's still creating to this day, and it's it's pretty awesome, uh, certainly. But I guess yeah, he's almost like my my fallback. He's not my go-to. Um, he really I didn't really give him much thought, at least to play his movies on YouTube. Um, which there are a lot available that you can actually play for free right now. And I think um, I watched, um, so I watched the other night um, where, you know, he's the, he's the, uh, he's the young husband of, uh, of, uh, of the Diane Keaton character. And, um, they're a, a lovely, uh, young, New York, sophisticated, definitely sophisticated, uh, Manhattan, um, upper middle class, uh, upper class, actually, because it's a very nice apartment that they live in. Uh, it's probably like the Upper East Side. They may even mention it in the movie. But he is a, they, they got a great thing going, obviously, um, and... Pretty much right into the like maybe by the third or fourth scene, the uh, they they they're in their hallway opening their door and the uh, there's a new neighbor next down down a few doors from them, uh, and he's or he's actually very close because they do a two shot with him going to his door. I think the other and uh, this other man and wife and they're a lovely couple. You know, and as I watch those scenes unfold with the new neighbors across the way. Um, in this luxury, basically luxury apartment building um, in New York City. Um, it, interestingly enough, reminded me of uh, Rosemary's Baby when they were introduced to the other, the younger couple and, and then the neighbors a couple doors down or whatever in the Manhattan apartment that's an older couple and they befriend them, which is really kind of nice, you know. It's, uh, I mean, the first several scenes of Rosemary's Baby, um, from what I recollect, are very pleasant scenes where they're really getting to know each other and they're really kind
kind of like a, a friend relationship going on. It's a little different with this Woody Allen movie, but it's sort of the same kind of a, a, a tension thing. What's cool about Woody Allen is he could really add some tension to the scene, but what carries a Woody Allen movie is his wit, I think. I like him. I like Woody Allen. Um, uh, you know, uh, the director, of course, but as an actor, I think he's really pretty good, and he's really pretty good in this husband who is, um, can't believe how obsessed his wife has become because she hears, um, it's at the, it sort of sets itself up pretty soon into the movie. Um, there's some exposition, of course, uh, everything's, they, you know, they go to museums, they go to gallery openings, she goes to a wine tasting, um, and the set pieces are cool because they just, I think they're really real places around New York. So this wine tasting takes place in this opulent, uh, high society, really, but not with any pretension. Um, it's, uh, it's a New York, it's a definitely upper crust celebrity, you know, any celebrity could pop in at the door at these things. And they're, they're really kind of like the go to this wine tasting um, and uh, it's like something you never even would imagine the surroundings are just so opulent really um, and so Woody Allen establishes that these guys they want you to know the couple um, that we're talking about and I forget their character names I can't believe it because I only watched it a couple nights ago uh, Alan Alder also stars in it, and of course Woody Allen uh, doesn't believe what she's hearing. She heard a thump um, one night, and it turned out that they went in and found uh, 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 the wife of uh, the, the older couple, that, uh, the wife that moved in, uh, they found her body. Um, but I'm not going to do any spoilers, I'm not going there with this. Um, I kind of just like sometimes just going off track about the the craftsmanship, really, of his movies. He's got his own style, certainly, uh, you know, certainly, um, and it's cool and it's very, very kind of like sophisticated, borderline, pretty hip, actually, certainly for the New, for the New York Manhattan scene, which most of his movies, I'm sure, pretty, yeah, definitely by far, most of his movies uh, uh, were set, are set in, in Manhattan. Uh, he's got a definite affinity to uh, New York City, in particular Manhattan Island, you know. Uh, it's a, Claude would agree with me, I think, it's about a two-mile wide island a uh, literal island that's connected by a network of incredible uh, bridges that you'd see crossing uh, the Hudson or the East River. Um, and by a boat running north to south, uh, tall, uh, about, um, it, uh, it, you're looking at about 13 miles. I think, it, I think it's maybe a 13 by two and a half mile island. Uh, big, beautiful bridges, of course. You you know a lot of them. Um, George Washington Bridge, uh, the beautiful 
Brooklyn Bridge, of course, um, going over the Hudson, famously. Um, yeah, I believe it goes over the Hudson River. I might be wrong. Could be the East River. Wait a minute, let me think of where Brooklyn is from Manhattan. Oh, it's going, yes, 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 yes. I know this from my art trip because I'm getting orientated. It is, I believe, to the east of Manhattan Island. Let me think about this now. Uh, yeah, and I think Queens and the Bronx are to the... Uh, wait a minute, let me, let me reorient myself. Okay, so just bear with me. Bear with me on this segment. I just want to kind of like orient myself where I would be, um, particularly when I was there last. So, you know, Woody Allen has a love of, has his continued love affair with just the place, Manhattan, New York City, you know. Um, aspects of the city that I like, uh, not to go too off track of Woody Allen, but uh, the the treks that I like through New York are actually kind of like kind of modest scale. I, I actually like Hell's Kitchen uh, from my art school days. Uh, I, I think that is a really cool, of course, gentrification has always plagued New York City, but that's just the way New York City is. And so Woody, Woody Allen is in that ethos. Uh, he's in that, you know, in some movies he doesn't even drive a car, of course, famously, or he drives really badly. Um, in Manhattan Murder Mysteries, um, he is a good New York City driver. There's, you know, there's no drama behind his driving, um, and he does quite a bit of driving in the show, uh, certainly. And they're friends with Alan Alda character. Um, also, other great actors and actresses appear on the movie, in the movie. Angelica Houston, for instance, is a friend, a close friend. She's like the fourth player in the movie, uh, certainly. Alan Alda, a lot of screen time, good, great acting. Uh, really good, uh, looking like it's, Woody Allen achieves this where he makes it look like there's no real script. For some, I don't know how, it's just his skills at writing. It's actually pretty genius. Uh, he's the definite precursor to great, all the great comedic geniuses after him, and that's particularly uh, that's particularly Larry David, for instance, um, and his curb your enthusiasm. Is that his long running now show uh, and and really improvisational comedy. Uh, and yeah, Larry David, uh, he, he would be, uh, you know, he took, he is another genius in his own right, certainly. Uh, he's like a later, he's like a later era, uh, you know, Woody Allen dominated the, 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 the late mid-century, you know, like the 70s films of his and the 80s, certainly. Uh, sophisticated movies like Interiors, which I saw probably back in my art school days and totally um, in, the, in the realm of, you know, the great Swedish directors, for instance. Uh, and I think they actually uh, reference that in that movie. I got to check that out again. And I think he's funny. I think he's funny as an actor. He's a good com comedian. 
Uh, his timing is pretty impeccable. I actually was noticing it more. Uh, he talks like a frantic husband because simply uh, Diane Keaton character is uh, turning into this sleuth. She's obsessed with finding out what went on, went on in the, uh, the apartment. She's suspicious right off the bat. Um, and I don't want to give it away. Uh, well, you know, I actually am giving it away, and I might go back on this um, segment. I don't want to really spoil it for anybody, because it builds up dynamics, and, uh, you know, there's mysteries within mysteries on this show, on this program, amazingly, because they man- he manages to also make it watchable to me. Um, he's, you know, he's an acquired taste, um... You know, uh, we always like Sleeper. Um, we, I've seen it recently, and um, and I think it's my sort of go-to. I was actually going to play Sleeper just to just to um, to uh, take it all in and just see. I wanted to kind of like just see it again, you know. Um, and I knew it was going to be a romp, and it is a romp. It's a classic. It's the rompiest of his movies, really. And he had others like um, Take the Money and Run earlier. Uh, Play It Again, Sam. Uh, yeah, and certainly that one. Uh, and all, also the sweet movie Broadway Danny Rose in black and white. And just a period of Woody Allen movies there that is kind of where I come into liking them really as more sophisticated. This is a sweet, uh, bittersweet movie um, uh, that he, that he, this is Broadway Danny Rose, and it's really a unique, um, really movie, Um, and I think it all totally makes sense, and it's total Manhattan, certainly. It is the city, uh, on steroids presenting to you in black and white just the dynamic aspect to it and I'm glad I can notice this because I think you know maybe my brother Claude's taught me of some of these kind of aspects and perspectives um, I do really kind of like have a uh, I, I do have a sort of um, I do I love even you know I love uh, Providence I think Providence has a lot going for it, but New York is New York to me. Um, And I can understand that whole setting for like Woody Allen movies, certainly. Uh, Great director, uh, great actor, um, great ensemble. He always always gets just the right mix and and, um, characters uh, that, you know, supporting cast. Always awesome. Um, You know, Mia Farrow period with him, awesome. Um, I do like the Diane Keaton periods with him, movies with him. Probably maybe a little edge on that, but I do like Mia Farrow, of course. Uh, You know, like think of radio days, even though I wasn't really going there because I'm trying to talk about the more sophisticated um, Woody Allen, how he kind of like relates his love for the city. Um, and how he navigates his way through the city effortlessly, 
effortlessly. He fits, he's the archetypical New York uh, sophisticate, uh, you know, upper class, certainly, sometimes struggling, though, sometimes struggling. In his earlier movies, he's more struggling, he's more successful as he gets older. Um, yeah, and then, but he's still got his quirks and his, his, his tics, of course, his famous uh, physical comedy goes on, um, certainly, on the, in these movies, less so in his later movies. Uh, where he becomes more of a, just a New Yorker. He's just a New Yorker guy, uh, and he he's he's likable. I think I like him. I think he's funny and, and really has the best lines in the movies. Movie. Uh, it's like Alan Alder. He has the best lines in Mash. You know clearly. Uh, B.J. Honeycutt. I like um, the actor Mike Farrell. He's got some great one-liners that are so pithy that uh, he, he's actually, in a way, I think, more clever than, than Alan Alder. It's amazing, the dynamic. And Alan Alder, of course, is in this Woody Allen movie, uh, uh, Manhattan Murder Mysteries. I would recommend anybody to see it. It's really good. And I like, again, I like closing this segment. I like to just say about Alan... He picks up the acting mantle because he's so, he's so comfortable with that role, right? He's like Hugh Hefner. He's just relaxed in his his role of what he he's doing, and he's um, he's an upstanding kind of guy actually. And he doesn't want to cause any trouble. He doesn't want his wife getting into everything. And I'm not going to get into it anymore because I don't want to give it away. And I'm almost thinking of not even putting this podcast segment in for that reason or do or doing some serious editing maybe uh so this may be the victim of that but maybe not i might just let it go free flow because i think um that's probably just the way to go in the style i do this you know i'm kind of off the cuff uh, just based on ideas trying to keep my segments short i had one of those suburbia kind of moments again here at darlington when i was just sitting out my front porch earlier looked across the street to a house at the, saw it almost at the end of the street and um, it was um, a, an American flag coming out of the house um, real kind of like suburban anyway but what, what made it interesting is the wind um, uh, the wind came up at some point and blew the flag over it and it just it was just kind of like a uh, I don't even really know how to explain it. I thought of history of Darlington more, interestingly enough. When I, just by seeing the flag, uh, and I can't, it's uncanny, that's the word. Uncanny, but it just brought uh, an idea to me about Darlington, about sort of like what what was it like, because that house was pretty old, like going back time. But I, I'm actually almost thinking earlier, but this was all marsh and woods. Earlier, of course, famously, Darlington is mostly probably landfill. Uh, I would imagine, no, not a, I know Pinecrest is a big section of Darlington, certainly, um, that is probably in that category. Again, Claude would be able to give me all the kind of like a lowdown on that one. I, I really can't explain why I thought about that kind of aspect of the history more. Um, but like picture like that house still there, the flag, but let's say, um, I'm trying to think when that house was, might've been built. Um, it's a stately, um, 
suburban home. It's an older style, certainly from maybe the turn of the century, I'm going to say. Um, old man Potter owned that whole plot there, the huge area, uh, back in the day, in the 1800s, where um, he was actually kind of like, uh, he had this a lock on this part of Darlington, at least, by what is now uh, the Hasbro complex, right down the end of Hunts Avenue um, with Newport Avenue uh, with Hasbro running parallel to it. Um, so it's, uh, the, you know, the Pawtucket-based Hasbro giant. So our flag house that I'm, you know, looking at uncannily reminding me of the earlier day in Darlington, certainly. Um, by at least, I'd say about 90 to 100 years ago, let's say, with that house, the second house in from Newport Avenue, under the influence of Potter. That was not even the, um, the residence of his kids. His kids got the big sort of mansions, actually, uh, that are famously known to be, you know, their funeral homes now. Um, uh, and uh, so they've been that way a while. Um, so these are those are the buildings for the children of Potter, um, and certainly, and then inside more, and it got a little more modest as you got in. So we're like we're the fifth house down uh, on Hunts Avenue from Newport Avenue. So, so it's actually pretty quiet. We've got a lot of trees in this area, luckily. Darlington has more trees, probably. Uh, can I safely say this, Claude? Uh, Darlington probably. Interestingly enough, or maybe not interesting enough, because it used to be a marsh anyway. But these trees going lining Hunts Avenue, uh, at one time, they still have vestiges, certainly, of being pretty magnificent um, colonnade of uh, a carefully planted, uh, uh, you know, uh, maple tree saplings certainly would have been put in, or sizable trees probably when they were first put in. I don't know. Uh, what the capabilities were. I'm sure they did. Um, in other words, maybe one-third grown trees. Is that possible? Did they just put them in that big? Um, I know when they're smaller, they're more manageable. Uh, I'm going to say they were at least saplings. At least saplings. And they line, they line hunt this part of Hunts Avenue for just a little spell. And I'm part of that little uh, row there and it's very pleasant maple trees one of my trees had unfortunately had to be cut down um, but uh, and then the backyard we had an apple tree in, in my backyard um, and again I'm living in the family house on Hunts Avenue in Pawtucket Rhode Island gratefully that I have a roof over my head and, and a girl a Lulu uh, cat on my lap right now 